good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. I look forward to what God is going to do this fall in our church, and I have missed you uh, greatly, and I love coming back in and watching. I'm praying the rust gets knocked off quickly, uh, but, but I'm also praying uh, for you today, and you've been on my heart this morning, and I believe that God wants to do something in you uh, in this series and through this series, and, and I want us to begin today, if we could, just surrendering uh, before the will of God and before uh, his way. And so if you are able, would you just take a knee at your chair and, and would you just bow your heart before the Lord? If you're not able, just bow your heart uh, before the Lord and, and posture your heart in that way. And, and would you just say today, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want in my life, whatever you want to bring me, whatever you want to give me, whatever you want from me, I, I, I surrender to you and your will. I surrender to you and your way. And, and thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And I pray uh, that you would do it in my life today as I surrender before you. And Father, we, we ask that you would take your word and let it come alive. Let it jump off the pages into the lives of your kids today. And Holy Spirit, we believe in your ministry. We believe uh, that, that you can do more in a moment than we could in a lifetime. So would you move among our church today in, in the lives of men and women and boys and girls? And, and would you uh, show us yourself? In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen and amen. Hey, uh, of all the great things that I love about this place, of all the great things that are true about Battle Creek Church, the greatest thing has always been what God is doing here. Amen. And, and God is moving and, and he's moving in our midst and, and he has been doing that for 20 years. He's moved us out from our center to other parts of our city. He's moved us out of our city to other parts of the world and, and he's moving people into our church. In fact, every year we kind of look out and uh, of course we see faces, right? Uh, of course we see familiar faces, but we also every year see new faces. And, and this year there's lots and lots of new faces and, and we love that. And, and because of that, because every year we look out and see new people on a regular basis, uh, we, we have found it to be really helpful to take a week or two or three in the fall every year and go over what we call the vision of Battle Creek Church, uh, what we're all about and, and what God is doing here. In fact, we sat down 20 years ago as we were starting the church and, and we started asking the question, who are we? And we started saying, God, who do we want to be and who do you want us to be? And, and we believe that he gave us this vision statement. In fact, we gave you a card for you to write notes on today. And, and I, I would prefer that all of you write notes today. Okay. In fact, I don't know uh, how to say this any clearer. It, it helps when you write something down. It involves other parts of your senses. I'm not saying you will go to heaven if you take notes, but why take a chance? And, and, and so you, you, you should take notes. And if we're going to spend 20 or 30 or 40 hours a week getting ready to bring you the truth, it would help if you would act like you're interested and get a Bible out and get the note cards out, bring a pen with you. We put pens in the pocket for you. It's just going to help you uh, take this helpful help and use it for uh, help in your life. Here's the vision statement of Battle Creek Church. We exist to glorify God by helping all people of all ages, all the time, advance in their journey with Jesus Christ. Now, that's really just a 30,000-foot view uh, of what we do, really. To get a better idea of how this uh, plays out and the rubber hits the road, I want to overlay real quick the, vision, the uh, values on top of the vision uh, statement, okay? And so take your uh, page, if you would, and draw a box 
around uh, to glorify God. And out beside it, you can write our number one value. This is the number one value, probably the greatest tune uh, that has come out of our faith family is about the presence of God. His presence changes everything. We believe God's presence changes everything. In fact, we have set everything else up in the church with that in mind, with that expectation in mind. In fact, we believe God can do more in a moment than all of us collectively could do together in our entire lifetimes. Amen? So we want to glorify God. Now, how do we do that? We want to glorify God by helping. We, we, we want to help people. In other words, we're a grace uh, place. But, but there's one group of people we decided early on when we were writing bylaws, which by the way, they don't have that class in seminary, uh, church bylaw writing. Uh, but we were writing bylaws. And while we were writing the bylaws, we decided there's one group of people who we will never allow into our church. And for 20 years, we've stuck by that. And if you're a part of this people group, we would say, keep coming. You're welcome to visit. You're welcome to attend. But if you want to join, you need to find another church. And that group of people is perfect people. Uh, If you are perfect, run for the hills. I'm just telling you, we will mess you up. In fact, the value that we have is that we believe we are the perfect place for imperfect people. So if you are imperfect, this could be the perfect place uh, for you. We, we want to help all people. All people is Acts 1-8, okay? Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We say it this way, uh, Tulsa, America, and the world. This is all backgrounds and all demographics, all, all people. All, all ages means we want to be a multi-generational church. 20 years ago, when I was 31 years old and we were starting this church, we, we, we decided, hey, I don't want to be a church that's good at reaching 20-year-olds, that's good at reaching 25-year-olds, and we're going to be the coolest church in town. I decided with babies at that time, I want to raise my babies in a church where they get to see every generation walking with Jesus. We want to be a multi-generational church. Now, all of the time, you can write out beside time, the word time vertically, okay? Because this is the gospel and this is the great commission. We want to tell uh, people about Jesus. We want to involve them through community uh, group and ministry. We want to mature them through discipleship. And then we want to empower them. That's the gospel. And it's the great commission. And quite honestly, this came out of a desire uh, for me to coach staff to say, how do you evaluate if this is worthy of your time? How how do we spend our time, all of our time? Uh, Well, we spend all of our time doing these four things, telling people about Jesus Christ, involving them in community group and ministry, maturing them through discipleship, and then empowering them. Empowering them to what? To tell people about Jesus, involve them in community and ministry, uh, mature them through discipleship and empower them. Empower them to do what? To tell people about Jesus, involve them in ministry, uh, mature them through discipleship to empower them. Do you see how it goes on and on and on and on? And, And the next phrase is advance in their journey with Jesus Christ. And and here's what we found. This is a growth place. We want to help you grow. It's okay to be where you are, perfect place for imperfect people. God loves you enough to accept you right where you are, but he loves you so much. It's not okay to stay there. He wants you to grow from that place to all of the the destiny he has for you in your life. And and so we have discovered uh, over the course of the last 20 years that there are three habits, keystone habits is what we call them, that that if you will develop these three habits in your life, they will act like miracle grow in the soil uh, of your life. And and the first thing you can do to accelerate the growth in in your life is you can connect. You need to connect. And the value 
is that life is better uh, together. In other words, you're not going to love Battle Creek Church unless you find a community group. You say, I love it, and I don't have a community group. You will love it even more if you will find a circle that you can be in and not just sit in rows week to week to week to week, but, but you need to find a, a community group where you can sit in a circle and let iron sharpen iron. The, the next thing you can do uh, to accelerate your growth is you can serve. And the value is this, that everybody needs a place in the church and a purpose in the world. In fact, when we say that, we're talking about our time and our talent. And uh, finally, the, the third thing that you can do to accelerate your growth is invest. And when we talk about investing, the value is this, found people find people. You say, well, I, I, what do you mean? People who are found by Jesus Christ. If you follow him long enough, he will use you to find other people who don't know Jesus Christ. In fact, our evangelism strategy is very simple. We call it invest and invite. We want to partner with you to help you reach your neighbors, to reach your uh, friends, to reach your coworkers, to reach the teammates on your kids' teams. And so uh, we say it this way, go tell and invite people to come and see. Go tell and invite people to come and see. And when we talk about investing, there's a second value that actually uh, goes with it. And, and we say it this way, we believe that you can't outgive God. Amen? You can't do it. Yeah, we've had several of us try uh, over the years, but, but you can't do it. And in fact, when we talk about giving around here, you need to know that it has zero. Say zero. It has zero to do with what we want from you. It has everything in the world to do with what we want for you. That, that's why we decided uh, a couple of years ago to go all in as a church. And, and so that's a 30,000 foot uh, level view of who we are as a church. And, and if you want more information, you want to learn how to connect, you need to jump into the advance track. And, and the advance track at, at every campus on September 10th, uh, we're, we're going to kick the advance track back off. But mark your calendar right now. Sunday, September 10th is, is the day that we're going to do the next advance track. And, and you need to go through that because we will help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and send you out to make a difference. And we use this word vision uh, for, for several reasons, okay? A couple of reasons. Well, one of them is it's just sort of the standard in organizational health. Healthy organizations in every part of the world have a vision statement so that they know where to go, so they know how to evaluate themselves. They can look back at themselves and say, are we on track? And, and so we wanted something like this to help us out. But the other reason, uh, the, and maybe a primary reason we love the word vision is the word's biblical. All throughout the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the people of God are getting visions from God. They're shown supernaturally what God is doing and what God wants from us and where God is moving. And, and one of those visions I want to look at today and, and next Sunday, if you got your Bible, open it to Ezekiel. Maybe you've never even heard a sermon out of the book uh, of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 27. In fact, Ezekiel's a strange book. Not a common name. I don't know many Ezekiels. How many of you know an Ezekiel? Uh, a few of you do, right? And, and I know a couple of Zeke's, and maybe their whole name is Ezekiel. But, but I know a bunch of Isaiah's and Daniel's and Jeremiah's. But, but Ezekiel is also unique because if you read it, you, you know why it, it's unique if you read it. The visions in the book, some of them are crazy. 
And you read it and you're like, I, I, I'm not sure what that means. Many of them, quite honestly, most of them, if you were to ask me, pastor, what does that mean? I would say, I have no idea what, what that means. But there's one vision at the end of the book of Ezekiel that I do know about. In fact, I've spent quite a bit of time this summer in this vision, reading it and studying it and praying through it. And, and this summer I had this aha kind of moment that I want to share with you uh, over the next couple of weeks. And, and so here's what we're going to do. Today I'm going to read the first half of it, okay? And next week we'll read the back half of it. So come back next week because you will not understand this whole message unless you come back next week. But, but the, it's really cool because two weeks from today, say two weeks. Two weeks from today is what we call a gospel Sunday. And so on the tail end of looking at this particular vision, this Old Testament prophecy and vision for two weeks, we're going to go to a passage in John chapter seven, where Jesus himself preached a sermon from this very passage. And as we look at that sermon out of this passage that Jesus Christ himself preached in John chapter uh, seven, it's the perfect opportunity for you to bring somebody with you. So bring somebody with you to two weeks from today. And, and so let's just start reading it today. Ezekiel chapter 47. I think I said 27 earlier, 47 and and verse one, look at what he says in my vision, circle that word in your Bible vision in my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of uh, the temple. So, so let's just stop here for just a second for a little bit of context. I shared some of this with the uh, dream team, which by the way, the dream team weekend was spectacular. What an amazing uh, weekend we had together uh, last weekend. But, but this vision came to Ezekiel in the 25th year of the exile. Now, the exile, let me just remind you what that is. I know you studied it before. The exile is when the Babylonians came in a- and destroyed Jerusalem under the leadership of who? Nebuchadnezzar. They came under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar and they marched into Israel. They tore down the walls of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. Uh, They took some of the best men and women with them back to Babylon. These are where the books like Daniel come from. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Those guys were transports or transplants that had come out of Israel, right? But, But the exile, don't miss the point of the exile. The exile wasn't just about uh, the people being exiled from Israel. It was really about the people of Israel exiling God uh, from their midst. They chose idols and they chose other gods over the one true God. And because of that, God lifted his hands of protection uh, from them and, and he removed his temple from before them. Now we spent months on the tabernacle and the temple. The, the, the temple represents what? The presence of God. It represents the presence of God. And so what God says is, I'm going to remove that from you for 70 years. You will be in exile for 70 years. So this vision comes in year 25. In other words, for those of you who are not good at math, 45 more years to go before they will return home, before they will see the walls rebuilt, before they will see the temple restored. But in the middle of the exile, 25 years in, Ezekiel gets this vision. And this man, probably an angel, shows up and takes him back to Jerusalem and shows him the temple uh, rebuilt. And then he spends six chapters just measuring the place. That's it, right? And if you like math, you love these six chapters. I skip them every time. I'm not sure, by the way, why Meredith waits till I'm comfortable in front of the TV to bring me a tape measure. 
but she does. And, and, and she wants me to measure something. I've probably spent six chapters of my life measuring things for Meredith uh, that, that she wants measured so she can figure something out. But, but in chapter 47, he's brought back to the temple. And, and here's what he sees. There, I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on the south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north uh, gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Now, that's not interesting to you uh, because it's boring. And and that's the truth. When you read this, it's boring unless you understand uh, the geography. There's a river flowing out of the temple. That's kind of strange. And maybe that catches uh, your attention, but it doesn't really get you excited. You don't get excited until you understand the geography. And I know what you're already thinking. We, we just, you know, we're just getting going here. School hasn't even started. Measurements, geography, those things, that's like going to school. Uh, but but it, it's actually interesting when you understand the vision and you understand the Holy Land. This is why I'm so insistent on you saving so that you can go to the Holy Land because you are a visual people. And when you see it, you see it. And when you see it, you will never see the Bible the same way ever again. It's like if you were talking to somebody who's not from Tulsa, and you said, and I was at 71st and Memorial the other day, the rest of them are like, okay, and what, what, what does that mean? But if you're from Tulsa, you automatically know it was a train wreck. <laughs> and you avoid it from November 15th to December 25th. You don't go anywhere near that place, right? You know that because you understand the geography. And so for the, the people of God in that day getting this vision, they knew the geography. They knew it from a geological and geographical standpoint. In fact, let me show you the the map, okay? And and I want you to see where God is doing something and how God is doing something and where God is moving. The first thing you need to be reminded of is that the Temple Mount, as it's called, the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem. And it's built upon a ridge called the Ophel Moriah Ridge. If you've been doing the one-year Bible with us, that word Ophel has appeared multiple times in the last couple of months. And and that's what it's talking about is this mountain ridge right through here. In fact, Moriah, you've heard that word before because Moriah is the very same mountain where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. Remember that story? It's also the very same mountain that David bought the threshing floor so that he could worship his God. This story all takes place right here, all of the story. And the temple is surrounded by these valleys uh, all around the Temple Mount. On the east side of the Temple Mount is the Kidron uh, Valley. It runs north and south. To the east, the other side of the Kidron Valley is what's called the Mount of Olives. You've heard of the Mount of Olives, right? Jesus spent a lot of time on this mountain. In fact, the Garden of Gethsemane uh, is right here where Jesus uh, spent his last night with his disciples in that garden on the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives runs north and south as well. It also connects to Mount Scopus, which is a ridge right here to the north uh, of Jerusalem. Those of you who've been with me to Jerusalem, when we first come into Jerusalem and and we uh, play that song on, on the bus speakers and we come and we see it, we go up on Mount Scopus and we look back at the city. That's where we were. And many times we stay in a hotel that overlooks the city from there. It sort of caps off the Kidron Valley to the north. It's the north boundary of the whole Temple Mount. 
Now, along the south is this valley called the Valley of Hinnom. Hinnom, uh, you've heard the uh, Hebrew word Gehenna, right? Gehenna is in this valley. Gehenna was where they burned the trash and the heap uh, 24 hours a day. In the Bible, Gehenna is likened to hell. That's in that valley. And it runs to the south, and it sort of turns up and and, and curls out to uh, the west. Right here, it meets up with another valley called the Tyropian Valley. That Tyropian Valley is is just in the middle of these two valleys. Now, I want to show you something really cool that I didn't see until I probably was in Jerusalem 10 times. If you were to draw an outline, let me do that for you. If you were to draw this outline of these valleys that, that go through Jerusalem... And around the Temple Mount, that's what you would see. And it it outlines, it looks like to me and you, it looks like a W. But what it looks exactly like, uh, and I think maybe we we have it, what it looks exactly like is this Hebrew letter. Do you see that? It looks exactly like this Hebrew letter. This Hebrew letter, anybody know what it is? It's called Shin, S-H-I-N. Write that down. Because it's the first letter in the Shema which is the prayer that is the most said prayer among the whole world to this day. That, that hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema, right? But also, this, this what looks like a W to me and you, is the first letter in the Hebrew word name, which is Shem, S-H-E-M, which is how every Jew refers to God with the name of the Lord. And so what God did is literally stamp his name on the Temple Mount and on uh, the city of Jerusalem. Over the temple and over Jerusalem, God stamped his name on it in the valleys. Now you have this in mind, okay? Because what we have is we have valleys and mountains all around uh, this area. Mountains up to the north and to the east and on the west and south and east side are valleys. Does all of this make sense to you? Now I want to take you back to uh, the text and I want to read it to you in verse 8. Because look at what it says in verse 8. It says, then he said to me, the river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea is over here. I'm not likening myself to the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea is over here, okay? 20 miles this other side of the Mount of Olives. So in order for this stream to come out of the south side of the temple, it would have to defy geography and it would have to defy gravity. It travels south out of the south corner of the Temple Mount. It should hit this Kidron Valley and and run to the south and then hit the Hinnom Valley and run to the west and run all the way out to over here is the Mediterranean Sea. That's exactly what should happen. Instead, when you read the Bible, it says that it cuts east and goes through the Mount of Olives into the Dead Sea. Impossible. It's absolutely impossible for water to flow uphill like that. In fact, one commentator I read this summer, this is what he said. Virtually every detail of this vision is unrealistic. Streams do not issue forth from temples. Waters do not flow over or through hills. All of these features suggest a literary cartoon. And quite honestly, I'd have to agree with him unless you know the Bible. 
and unless you look at something else, because over in Zechariah, which is another great prophet, right? Second name only to Ezekiel, right? That, that in Zechariah chapter 14, write it down and I'll read it to you. On that day, which you should always, that phrase should always catch your attention. On that day, right? That's messianic. That's the day of the Lord. On that day, his feet, who's his? Jesus. On that day, when he returns, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. I just showed you. Did you see it? East of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from the east to the west. Half the mountain will move to the north and half the mountain will move to the south. On that day, what day? The day of the Lord. When Jesus Christ comes back, church, listen, he will put his foot down on the Mount of Olives and that mountain will split and a river will run from the temple out east to the Dead Sea. In other words, living waters will flow into the place of death and the Dead Sea will now come alive. The Dead Sea will now be full of life. It will be full of fish and dolphins and all of that. And it's the picture of what? Of Jesus Christ coming back. What he can do in a moment is instantly bring life. Once Jesus touches it, what was dead is now alive. And that's why we believe that the presence of God changes everything. And this, by the way, was my aha moment this summer where it clicked for me that, that you see the normal way and the natural way was for that stream to go west, but what God did is move a mountain. And you have two different prophets who had two separate visions, 50 years apart, but they worked together to form one reality. The vision is the way for you and I to see God's reality in the world today. It gives us sight beyond our own sight. It's how we understand how God is moving in the world. And here in this passage and, and in Ezekiel 47, what we see is God moving mountains. He wants the river to flow to the temple. He wants it to flow into the Dead Sea. Don't miss next week. We're going to talk about why. Why would he want that? And, and he wants it to happen, but the geography won't let it happen. So what does God do? He changes the geography. He rewrites the land. He moves the mountains so that his will can be done. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray this way. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you, you can pray and tell mountains to move and they will. When you pray the will of God, nothing can stand in your way. And God in the Old Testament showed us that he is willing, that if you have mountains in your life, and I'm telling you, you do, you have mountains in your life that are restricting the flow of God into your life. God wants to move them, but he wants you to pray. Why? He wants you to be a part of it. And over the last 20 years, what, what an amazing book it would make for us to write out all the mountains that have stood in our way as a church. We've had obstacle after obstacle, roadblock after roadblock since day one. Oh, man, I, I'm going to make an announcement next week about one of those obstacles that hit us decades ago. I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to do it next week. Come back next week. <laughs> but go back to Ezekiel 47 because I, I, I want you to see one more thing. Look at what he says. In my vision, 
The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. Now, look what he says. In fact, he says, there I saw a stream. Circle that word in your Bible. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple. That Hebrew word there means a trickle. It's a trickle. It's not just significant at all. It's very small. It's a nothing of a leak. And by the way, interesting uh, geography, there are no rivers in Jerusalem. Zero. There are only springs. It's all spring-fed, and we'll talk about that next week as well. In fact, there's a spring under the Temple Mount. Many of us have gone down 50, 60 feet and walked that wall and, and been in that spring and seen it. But, but there's a spring under the temple mount. There's a spring that runs under uh, the Mount of Olives. But Ezekiel's vision corresponds to that spring. And one day, literally, it's going to break open and it is going to spew forth is what the Bible says. But look at what Ezekiel sees. Look at what he sees. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 750 feet. And then he led me across the water. It was up to my ankles. Okay. So you get the picture. That's not very much. And it's not very high. If you have a trickle in your wall, it's a big deal, right? You're going to fix it immediately. Uh, If you see a pipe with just a little drip, you're going to fix that now. But, but if you come home and, and the water in your kitchen is up to your ankles, which we've done that on two occasions in our lifetimes, it's a big deal and you're in trouble. But if you're in a riverbed and the water is up to your ankles, it's, it's no biggie, right? Like the Arkansas river. Does it ever get higher than our ankles, right? I don't, I don't know that it does, but, but look at this river that, that is flowing. Look at what he says in verse four. He measured off another 750 feet. Some of your Bibles say uh, cubits, right? A thousand cubits. And he led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. Do you see what's happening in his vision? Then, then he went another 750 feet, 1,750 feet, and it was up to, say it, my waist, Then he goes another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. Now, don't miss what's happening here in the vision. That what started out as a small trickle became a stream, became a rushing river that was too big to cross. What started out as deep as his ankles went to his knees, went to his waist, and now it's so deep that he has to swim out of it. What started as something small became huge. Why? Because God was moving and that's what he was doing. And that's what's happened in Battle Creek Church for the last 20 years. What what started out in a room of 120 people and today we are literally around the world. And, And this is the story of many of the ministries around here. TC Egypt started with me saying, hey, I want to go to Egypt because my dad is from Egypt and I think it would be cool to go to Egypt. But I also, since God is asking us to go to Egypt, I think he's saying we should go. And we went on one trip and then two trips and then 10 trips. And now we have a ministry over there in, in multiple countries, seeing thousands of people come to Christ every single year. What started out as a trickle has, has become a rushing river. Our adopted ministry was birthed out of one sermon on an Easter Sunday. And we declared there's no better picture of the gospel than adoption. And our preschool and elementary elementary ministries began to look like the UN, which is beautiful. 
And we decided as a church to become a part of the solution and, and to address the foster care crisis in our country. Since then, uh, I, I was told this morning, uh, somewhere around a thousand kids have been adopted because of the influence and the ministry of this church. And another 2,000 kids have been fostered uh, because of the ministry of this church. Listen to me. What started as a trickle uh, began here at Battle Creek has become a river. And now other churches in Oklahoma and other churches across the United States and across the world have joined in. We started Haven Ministry in 2012 for, for a couple of kids who had special needs. In fact, on the day we started it, we had five. But this year we've expanded to a state-of-the-art space that ministers to a hundred every single week. Actively engaging in the Haven ministry. In fact, I never thought I'd see the day where a church is baptizing kids who, who have uh, different needs like that. And it's an incredible picture of, of the gospel. It began to serve a couple of families on Sunday morning, but, but now they host support groups and they provide community resources and have become a pillar of light to the whole community uh, around Tulsa, Oklahoma. Church, churches is the story that we see over and over and over again. And, and we believe God is not done moving. That's why we're going to El Salvador this year to see what God would do with us there uh, to bring women's recovery to a country that doesn't have a single women's recovery facility in the whole country. It's why TC Egypt is taking trips and exploring other countries all throughout the Middle East. It's why we're doubling down on our next-gen ministries here in Tulsa. It's why we're praying about, God, do you want us to do another campus? If so, where would you want us to do it? We, we believe the trickle is turning into a river. And here's what I want to invite you to today. Get in while it's ankle deep. Get in because we've seen it again and again and again. Church, can we just thank the Lord for what he is doing in this church and, and through this church?